Well, welcome to our final week of Pastor 411. This is our, our fourth uh, Sunday doing this for the month of June here. And uh, Andrew, really appreciate you being with us for, for three of those Sundays. And it was great to have Thena with us last week. We got a lot of uh, positive response from moms and dads and from the kids who enjoyed having Thena answer some questions as well. Uh, but here we are at the end. I hope you've enjoyed your time. Yeah, it's been good so far. Lots of good questions and yeah. There has been a lot of good questions, and thank you for sending those questions in. We've tried to cover as many as we can. It's, it's hard. We, we kind of wrestle with this idea of do we do like 10 questions with really short answers or you know, less questions with more complete answers, but obviously you can decide, you know which way we've decided to go with that because uh, we've had four or five questions per week. There's lots of questions we didn't get to, and we're going to keep those on file, and we will be doing this again, and so there's a good chance that if you submitted a question but we didn't cover it in these past four weeks, uh, that it will show up at a time in the future. So you never know. We'll see what uh, that looks like in the days ahead, but we definitely will do Pastor 411 again uh, in the months ahead. So, Andrew, today we got four more questions we're going to cover. Yeah. A couple of them are a little bit bigger, so we should just pretty much jump right into it. Let's and, do it. Uh, and see what we can cover today. So, uh, our first question, why don't you read that first one for us, Andrew? Yeah. What is God's ultimate attribute? His ultimate attribute. So, we have to pause and think for a second. What does that mean, his ultimate attribute? Uh, when we hear a phrase like that, mm. incorrectly, but there's a tendency for our minds perhaps to equate this idea with, like, what are God's superpowers <laughs> kind of thing, with these ultimate abilities that he might have. And so before we, we talk about uh, this in terms of, of God's characteristics and attributes, I, I'm just kind of curious, Andrew, if you could have, like, one ultimate ability, we'll call it a superpower, which one would you choose? Uh, I would choose unlimited strength. Unlimited strength. Yeah. So to be more like me. Yeah, more like you, but then to surpass you. <laughs> surpass sure. me. Yes. Okay. All right, this is an ongoing joke around the office. Who can bench more? And I can. Andrew it's can. not a joke. <laughs> yes, Andrew, Andrew can. But you have unlimited strength. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Like the Hulk. Yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. So what about you? For me, um, you know, I think I would pick another classic one. Uh, I think I would pick invisibility. Uh, and the reason being is because when I walk around the office, I'm pretty sure that sometimes the staff are watching YouTube videos, but by the time I get around the corner, they've switched the screen. So if I was invisible, I could actually catch you guys <laughs> when you're doing that. And I also think that if I was invisible, my, my practical joke game would like just go to the next level. Oh, so you so. want to be invisible so you can mess with people. <laughs> pretty, okay. much. Uh, <laughs> pretty much. Well, <laughs> but when we talk about the attributes of God, uh, we're not talking about superpowers. That, that's not really what that is at all. What we're speaking of are qualities or features that are regarded as characteristics of who God is. And, and these make up our understanding and our experience of God. And the best place to find these is, is obviously in the Bible, where the Bible we understand to be God's revelation of himself. And so if we're trying to understand characteristics and attributes of God, we need to go to Scripture to look at that. And so when we list some of these off for you, there's going to be a lot of Bible verses we include. We're not going to read them, but they're going to be listed on the screen for you. So uh, take a picture with your phone or take a screen capture with your computer, and you can look them up later if you wish to read more about this. But it's important to let Scripture be our guide in this particular question, because if we don't use scripture, all we're really left with is, is not much more than personal opinion. And if that happens, then we're missing an important step because we're going to fail to understand what God's like, and that's going to lead us to the creation 
of a false identity of God, which means we're going to be worshiping, trying to follow a God that doesn't actually exist. And this often happens in the world around us. And when people in secular society try to imagine what God is like without going to the authority of Scripture, they tend to actually make themselves an authority. And they create what they would like God to be based upon their wants and their wishes. And it turns out being a bit of a self-serving venture. So, Let me just say this before we specifically answer this question, is that I'm not actually sure we can answer this question in terms of what is the ultimate attribute of God, but I can help us understand his attributes by breaking it into two categories. The first category is that God has these attributes that we can actually share in, and these are referred to as communicable attributes. They're things that we can share in. And, and, he, and here's a list of them. This is not a complete list by any means, but, but here's an example. And, and Andrew and I will read these two uh, briefly here of some of these communicable attributes that God has that we can share with him as well. Uh, the first one is truthfulness. God is completely honest and genuine. Second, faithful. He's completely trustworthy and loyal. Loving, unconditionally compassionate, caring, devoted to his children. Merciful. He's actively good towards those in distress and does not treat them as they truly deserve to be treated. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Holiness. God is totally pure. He is perfect. He is complete. There, There is no hint of sin or wrongdoing or anything impure within him. And because of that, he is holy and therefore set apart from the rest of creation. He's just. Always acts in a right and fair manner. Mm-hmm. And then uh, final one for this list, not that it's a complete list by any means, but the final one for this list is righteous, meaning that he is morally perfect. Now, as I mentioned, we can share in these attributes because we are created in the image of God. Genesis 1 verse 26 says during the creation account, when it gets to the point where God creates humanity, he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness which means that there are some attributes of God that we can share in. Now, it's important to note that we don't share in them to the same extent of God because we are an image of God. God is like the the full representation of these attributes. We are, uh, you could consider us like a reasonable representation of these attributes in the world around us. And so we can share in them, but they're not fully revealed in us. They're fully revealed in God. We are like reflections or, or images of these attributes in the world around us. Now, there's a second category of attributes as well, and these are the ones that we cannot possess, and they are referred to as the incommunicable attributes of God. And not only can we never share in these with him, but also we sometimes struggle to fully comprehend these attributes as well. And and, and here's another list, not a complete list again, but another list of some of these to consider. The first one is that God is transcendent, meaning that he is immaterial. He exists above and individually apart from any sort of form. He's also self-existent. Another way of saying that's everlasting. There's no beginning to him and no end. Mm. Uh, immutable. This is an important one, and sometimes a debated one, but God is considered to be immutable, meaning he is unchanging in character and unchanging in purpose. He's also sovereign. He's the supreme authority. He reigns supreme. He has complete control over the created order. 
And then the last three are probably ones you may have heard of before. Omniscient, meaning he is all-knowing, knows everything perfectly. Uh, he knows all possibilities and all probabilities in events. He's also omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful and almighty. And then finally, omnipresent, meaning he is present everywhere at once. And you can understand some of these are hard to get our minds around and certainly not ones that we can share in because they are incommunicable attributes of God. So I, I struggle to say which one is ultimate. Uh, if there was going to be an ultimate one, it would fall into the second category, obviously, because they are you know, the ones that we ourselves can't have, only God can have. But here's the challenge with picking an ultimate one, is that all of these characteristics need to work in balance with each other. And what happens if we emphasize one over the other is that it leads to questions and it leads to scenarios that either minimize or omit other attributes of God. And that kind of defeats our definition of who God is as revealed in Scripture. For example, if we want to emphasize the love of God, it may lead us to ask a question like, well, how can an all-loving God send people to hell? Which minimizes God's justice. You can flip that around and say, well, if I want to emphasize God's justice, it can lead us to ask a question like, well, how can a holy God have anything to do with a sinner and thereby minimize God's love? The truth of the matter is this, is that in the two examples I just gave you, God is both loving and holy. And we can see the demonstration of this through the gift of his son that he sent to die for us. You see, God loved us enough that he desired relationship with us. But he's holy enough that he was not able to have that relationship because we are not pure and holy as he is. And so a gap exists, a, a divide exists. And so out of love, God sent his son to bridge that gap so that we could be seen through the holiness of his son. And therefore, God's love and holiness are not competing with each other. They're, they're actually working together to complement each other. And we can see that best in the gift, the sacrifice, and, and the means of salvation provided through Jesus Christ, who paid the price for us to be in relationship with the Father. So we need to keep all of God's attributes in balance, and we need to keep them all consistent, and we find these in Scripture. And if we can do that, it'll keep us from creating a God of our own design, which then also keeps us from worshiping a God that doesn't actually exist. We want to make sure that our idea of who God is and our experience of him is true to what we find in Scripture. But we'll probably acknowledge that that's not an easy task. I know some of you are probably thinking, valid point, we got to find our attributes of God in Scripture, but it's a difficult task to do that. And, and you're absolutely right. Andrew and I both uh, went to Taylor Seminary and uh, took a, a different times, but took similar classes. And one of those classes is referred to as systematic theology. And it's basically a one-year, full-year class where you look at these sorts of things, and then you have to write these papers to grab all these different aspects of who God is and how he's revealed himself throughout Scripture and throughout, uh, throughout history, and, and have a consistent, systematic understanding of who he is. It, it's a difficult course. So yeah. by no Not means easy. are we saying this is an easy task no. No. <laughs> at all. We went to school for it, and we still don't have a complete grasp of everything. Right? <laughs> Absolutely, so. it's challenging. And so at times, it can even feel like the Bible works against us, because as we go through Scripture— it can feel like it's contradicting itself at certain times. Mm -hmm. And so that actually leads to another question that, that Andrew will answer for us that kind of takes us to part two of this question in a way to give us a live example of how this can work. And, and the question is this. Psalm 78 verse 65 says, the Lord awakes from his sleep, but Psalm 121 verse 3 says, the Lord never sleeps, 
So Andrew, which is it? Yeah, <laughs> right? That's clearly a contradiction that we can see. Um, but let's just read both of those verses to kind of get a little bit more of the context of those in their entirety. So Psalm 78, verse 65 is this. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, as a warrior wakes from the stupor of wine. And then Psalm 121, 3 says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Now, these verses seem to contradict each other. Mm -hmm. One is the Lord sleeping. The other is he shall not slumber. So when we encounter contradictions like this, you cannot do what I just did. <laughs> right? You can't just take the verse out of the Bible and just have that one verse to look right. at. Right? That's proof texting. We don't want to do that. We want to keep it in its context. Mm -hmm. And so what else can we gather from the text, though, before we even get into the biblical context of it? Well, there are many genres of literature contained in the Bible, so different styles of writing. Um, we have these things today. We have poems, we have songs, we have uh, novels, we have nonfiction, we have fiction. So these different genres of the same thing, which is writing. And so here, the Psalms are, for instance, an example of poetry and songs, which are often dri driven by a lot of imagery. Mm, yeah. So in the real passage here, uh, not that verse 65 is not real or verse 3 is not real, <laughs> um, but the context of those verses, yeah. you need to expand it around so it's not just the one verse that you read, but the entirety of it so that you can see the mm -hmm. difference. And so for Psalm 78, it's a longer psalm, but the big section there that kind of gives the context for verse 65 starts in verse 56 mm. and goes till 66. So if you're reading that, you want to see, you want to read that entire, at least that 10, if not the entire psalm. Right, right. And so what else can we gather from the psalm? The author of the psalm, it says right at the beginning, so that's back before verse 1, is Asaph. He's a Levite who's given to singing in the house of Yahweh. And so that's his role that he plays. And so we already figure out that this is probably a song of some sort, so there's going to be lots of imagery again. He lived during the time of David and Solomon's rule. And so this psalm is examining, though, not that time. He's not writing as if he's writing exactly to that time. He's examining the time in the desert when Moses was around. And so the psalm is full of reflecting on past mistakes and troubles and applying concepts and symbolism to that situation. Mm -hmm. So in verse 78, or in Psalm 78, we see that the Lord has been angered towards the actions of the people. And that's found in verse 59, where God is described as utterly rejecting Israel, basically withdrawing from the nation of Israel to allow their enemies to overcome them because he's, he's mad, they're rejecting him. And so that's recounted there in verse 59. And then we get down to verse 65, and it's a description of God who, for all intensive purposes, could be described as asleep. When we're asleep, we're not very active. No. <laughs> so God's not very active at this point on the behalf of Israel, and so he seems like he's asleep. And so it says he awakes from that slumber, and now he awakes from the slumber, right? It's a descriptive imagery there. And so he's restoring the nation because he can no longer tolerate the destruction mm -hmm. of Israel. Also in verse 65, um, we can grasp that this is descriptive from that and not prescriptive. And so it's painting a picture of something rather than trying to define and direct you according to something that is written. Right. So it's reflective of the past, and that's common of many songs today. Mm -hmm. They kind of recount stories of the past. Yeah. And so in Psalm 121, 
This is a song of ascent, which there's no time frame given to this. Uh, no author is specifically cited here, but it's linked closely to songs that are commonly used in worship, so that Levites would sing as they're practicing the rituals in the temple, or possibly when the Israelites were pilgrimaging towards big religious events. Something they would sing along the road is kind of what the people think. And so this is very poetic in nature again, and so we, we needed to read it that way as well. And so we can see lots of imagery being used, again, descriptive, not prescriptive. So if we look in verse 1 of Psalm 121, looking up to the hills is what's said there. And this is more of a looking towards God than it is a literal looking at the hills. Mm -hmm. And in verse 3, it also says to not let your foot be moved. Well, that's not a literal, you're going to step in some wet concrete and it's going to solidify around your foot and your foot's not, never going to move. It's not that. It's that you're going to stand firm and stand strong in a position that you're holding. Again, not a literal thing. And so then that brings us to the second half of verse 3, which is in question here. And it says, he who keeps you will not slumber. Meaning God is always with you. He's not going to forget you. He's going to help you have that foot that's not moved. Help you stand your ground. Help you hold your beliefs. A phrase that's common to that today is, I will not rest until whatever. And so like if a cop is out there searching to try to help somebody, they say, I'm not going to rest until I find who did this. Right. That doesn't mean that the cop doesn't sleep. That doesn't mean that the God doesn't sit down and have a coffee or something like that to try to refocus. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that. It means that he's never going to give up. He's going to continue to pursue this thing. And so that's similar to saying, that he who keeps you will not slumber. So from the context, from the style and the genre, the author, the time frame, we can see that this is not really a contradiction in the scriptures. Rather, these are two separate instances that are isolated, describing a perceived attribute in those situations. Mm -hmm. This is not a definitive proclamation about actual characteristics of God in this situation. Right. Yeah. So... Well, well covered, Andrew. Thank you for that. And I think it's important uh, in, in this particular case or in other passages you're reading, and it came up a little bit last week too, is, is that we have to understand context yeah. for verses that we're reading. Uh, and part of the context, as you mentioned, is understanding the genre, because different genres read and get used in different ways and have mm -hmm. different literary devices within them. So we need to understand the genre. We need to understand the setting, the context going on around that particular verse. And, and one thing you picked up that people may not have heard before that, that you mentioned very well is there's a distinction between descriptive and prescriptive mm -hmm. in the Bible. And, and a very general explanation of that is descriptive is describing uh, an event, a principle, something that happened in a particular time and setting. Mm -hmm. Prescriptive is a directive given for all settings and for all times. And so even if we find something in the Bible that is prescriptive, it was relevant and true to be practiced back then and still today. Mm -hmm. If we find something that is descriptive, there's probably a little more going on. It doesn't mean it's devoid of truth, but it doesn't need to be necessarily ad excuse me, adopted in mm -hmm. the same way that a prescriptive yeah. principle would. So that's another important thing when we're trying to discern what's happening yeah, in totally. Scripture. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, let, let's shift gears a bit, go to our third question, yeah. and a totally different topic now. Yeah, totally different. Uh, a great one, though, and an important one, one that we come across in just pastoral ministry yeah. as we encounter people in different situations and relationships. These types of questions come up quite often, and, and we're going to ask you to begin addressing this one yourself, too, because yeah. I, I think people in your ministry area of youth and young adults is definitely an area that's asking this, not exclusively, mm -hmm. but it comes up a lot yeah. in there. And here's that question. 
is there such a thing as my one true soulmate? Hmm. Big romantic question. question. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what do you think, Andrew? Full of romance. <laughs> uh, so first, again, we need to figure out context for this. So what do we mean by soulmate? Right? And so this is actually a concept that predates the 21st century and rom-com movies or Hallmark movies or anything <laughs> like that. It's, it's way before that. It's an ancient mythology, actually, which is where yeah. we kind of find the root of this. And it's kind of a different setting. It's more of a creation kind of thing that it comes from where um, people believed that one person was created and then they offended the gods of the time and then they were then split into two half souls. Mm -hmm. And so they were caused to walk the earth and try to find that other half that could complete them and make them whole again. Right, so there's only so. one other person in that situation that yeah. will make me complete because they have the other half of me. Yes, exactly, yeah. 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 And so that's where that comes from. But today, however, we commonly say things like, yeah. She is the one for me. Mm -hmm. They complete me. That person is my soulmate. I can't picture my life without... Mm -hmm. Something was missing in my life, but now I have what I need. Mm -hmm. And I have never felt whole until now. Right? And so we say things like this, and these reveal that a situation where the relationship that we're trying to describe there is put up on an unhealthy pedestal. Mm -hmm. Being single is something that is feared in this situation and looked down upon because they're not complete, they're not, they don't have what they need, they're not whole. Um, and the relationship is fulfilling a need that it was never intended to fulfill in this situation. Yeah. And so, Mark, in your many years of marriage and pre-marriage counseling, mm -hmm. I'm only getting going. I've only done one of these so far, <laughs> so I felt that this is a good time for Mark to jump in and share something. But you've encountered different relationship types yeah. to this. So yeah. are you able to explain some of those for us? I, absolutely. And I think this is important for us to understand before we continue talking about, about soulmates. And, and there's lots of different relationship types that exist. Um, but I want to just describe three for you that are easy to remember and kind of cover a bit of a bit of an array mm. of different types of relationships. Uh, the ones that Andrew is just describing, where there's a sense of, I need another person, I'm, I'm completed, you know, uh, Jerry Maguire, you complete me, right? Sounds very romantic. Uh, sounds like, yes, that's what my heart longs for. Practically speaking, though, that idea is highly dysfunctional and <laughs> actually a very unhealthy relationship. That idea of another person completing us is what we could refer to as, as like an A-frame marriage meaning that you got two people who kind of lean in towards each other. Now, it works well when both people are, are stable and doing good, but we know from reality that not everyone is doing well all the time. And, and when you have a relationship, like an A-frame relationship, if one person starts to crumble, if they start to have a struggle at work, at home, personally, emotionally, and they start to fall, well, the other person falls with them as well because they're dependent. And this is what we can refer to as like a codependent relationship. And it's actually not a healthy style um, to, to have in your life, in particular in your marriage. And so another type uh, is called an H-frame. And so you've made a capital letter H where there's, there's two, uh, kind of two sides that run parallel to each other. And there's a connector in the middle. And so there is a connection between them, uh, but they run their lives so parallel to each other they might, that the connection is kind of resem resembles, we might, you know, we might share a bank account, we, we might share a mortgage, we, uh, we might occasionally go on vacation together, we'll, we'll share schedules, things like that. Uh, but for the most part, their lives are completely parallel to each other distinct from each other. Uh, and you may know somebody who's in a relationship like this where 
um, you just don't see a lot of connectivity between them, a lot of intimacy between these two people. They're just kind of sharing lives, and that's the sum total of their relationship. Again, it's not fulfilling. It's, it's missing something. Contrary to those. So we got the one extreme of the A-frame, the other extreme of the H-frame. What we want to find is actually what's referred to as an M-frame. Now, if you imagine a capital letter M, so it's got basically two upside-down Vs that meet in the middle. Now, if you can picture that image of a capital M, where the middle meets the ground, what it's actually made up of is two completely stable individual parts that can stand on their own, that are complete and fulfilled and stable on their own, that come together to complement each other. Not to complete each other, but to complement each other. And ultimately, this is the goal that we're looking for in a relationship. So if somebody is looking for a life partner, or if you're in a relationship or in a marriage right now, and there's some challenges that are happening, this is the goal that we're striving for. And this is often the solution that a lot of counselors point to when they want to help repair marital issues, is not working on the marriage itself first, but talking about the individuals becoming whole, healthy, complete individuals who can then come together and establish a whole, healthy, complete marriage. And so more of that M-style relationship is what we're looking for. And, and the key here is that they complement. They, they don't complete each other. Now, to this question of soulmates, does that mean that there's only one person who will complement me? No, it doesn't. Uh, it also doesn't mean that everybody will compliment you either. There are some people who just aren't compatible with, with one another, and that's just the reality of the world we live in. But there are more than one person who we can be compatible with. It comes down to a degree of finding a person like that, that we choose to invest in and we choose to compliment and be complimented by. So there's a degree of choice and definitely a degree of effort that goes into creating this, this M-frame type of relationship. So I'm going to stop there because I could probably go on for another hour about relationship types, but I think it'll cover our topic for today. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah. Great. That was great. Perfect. And so that reveals that simply asking the question about a soulmate is not oftentimes one that is coming from the view where a relationship and eventually marriage is mm -hmm. supposed to look like. It's right. coming from a, a false kind of setup for the marriage. So often, it's coming from either that A-frame perspective or that H-frame perspective for relationships, mm -hmm. where the need for the other is too high or too low. Too low. Yeah, absolutely. And so we, we're trying to achieve, again, that, that M, where there's a complementing going on there, mm -hmm. where we de our desire for the other is to further ourselves and not fix ourselves. Yeah, and let's just pause there for one real quick second as well. This idea of fixing, uh, this is another challenging that leads to sort of an A-frame type relationship is, is when we get into these codependent relationships, uh, sometimes it's not both people are, are struggling and need the other person to prop them up. Sometimes it's a matter of one person is struggling and the other person is the hero, the rescuer, who's like, I can straighten them up. I can, I can fix them. Again, not ideal. And sorry to tell you, but quite often, more often, you can't fix people. <laughs> there's, there's challenges that go beyond the other person. It just lends itself back towards this idea of you complete me, and, and, and it doesn't complement. It uh, complicates, yeah. actually. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And so the easy answer to this question is to say that, no, there's not one true singular soulmate for me. Um, but that, again, like Mark has already mentioned, it's not everyone is then your soulmate, yeah. and anybody can be your soulmate either. And so the reason we say no is because having that specific person 
as is not a biblical concept. It's not another person fulfilling you is not a biblical mm-hmm. concept. We need to understand that just because God created man and woman so that they could be together doesn't mean that they have to be together. Just because we have the possibility of dating somebody doesn't mean that we need to stay dating that person. Right? Yeah, definitely. And there's different scenarios there. And so there are people who are single who say, well, I will be fulfilled. I'll be complete when I find a partner. But that's actually not a biblical principle. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in a second. And there's also people who get into relationships going, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to find somebody else. And, and this guy showed interest in me. So I guess I'll just settle and, and I'll, I'll take the one I got as opposed to maybe the one that God has down the road in, in mind for me. And, and so uh, we're not trying to cause <laughs> relational hardship here by any means, but... Yeah, push people to break <laughs> up. Like, this is not, don't hear us say that. <laughs> Unless they need to. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, but this is some, some food for thought, that if you are in a relationship that is probably unhealthy, or if you're in a relationship where you have settled for Mr. Right Now instead of Mr. Right... Uh, that takes some serious, serious thinking on your part. And it may actually be a step of faith to say, this isn't healthy, I need to separate from this and wait for God to bring that healthier situation for me, which is going to begin by investing in ourselves before we invest in another person. Now, as I say that, I also got to mention, a little footnote here, if you are married, you cannot just cut and run because you have entered into a solemn commitment before God and before your friends and family. And, and so if you are having some of these challenges, you can't just cut and run. It does require a different directive, which is uh, going to take some hard work and, and most likely some counseling, which we at the church can either offer for you or direct you towards uh, professional counseling if the situation may be warranted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so what is the question behind the question then? The question is, how, how can I be fulfilled? How can I be that one mm-hmm. side of the M so that if Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright comes into my life, we can connect and be compatible and form that true bond of the M. Right. And Paul speaks about this too. But in the middle of his teaching to the church about marriage, he speaks about singleness. In 1 Corinthians 7 is where we find this. And so he says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, the other has that. Now, to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So, if you didn't know, Paul was a single guy. Yeah, he was married. Yeah, and yeah. so he here, he's still expressing that he's a complete person now as a single guy yeah. when he's writing this. His identity is complete. Not on his own, though, but in his relationship with Jesus. This is where we find true fulfillment mm-hmm. in our life. Yeah. Jesus, not soulmates. But that doesn't discount the place for marriage. We see in Ecclesiastes as well, verse 12, it speaks of the strength in marriage. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The marriage is a bond, as we will see here, it's not between two people, but a bond formed between three, husband, wife, and God. Mm -hmm. That is how the M frame is achievable. Two fulfilled human beings coming together, joined together with God. So now they're strong enough to weather storms. Mm-hmm. So, yes, some people will end up married. And yes, some people will end up single. Mm-hmm. Neither is higher than the other. Both are complete. Yeah. If identity is found and established in Jesus, that's when both can be complete. Mm-hmm. 
not in other people. It's our relationship with Jesus that makes us whole and never alone. That's the closest thing to a soulmate we'll ever find. Absolutely. And, and so for those people who, you know, either in the younger years or even a little later in life who find themselves still single, uh, you know, I, I have conversations with people in that situation uh, every once in a while, and it's common, uh, unfortunately, it's common for them to feel like, well, I've done something wrong, or, or I'm cursed, or God is punishing me, and, and, and nothing can be further from the truth. God loves you. And God, yes, has, has chosen a path for you or you're walking a path currently that is, is not complete, by the way, but you're walking a path that perhaps is different to other people. But that doesn't mean you can't have complete, uh, a completeness within yourself and fulfillment in relationship with God. I, I've known many men and women who, uh, who have lived a long time, even a lifetime, in singleness. Uh, it has not been easy. I'm not trying to suggest that it is an easy path to walk by any means. Um, but it is one where they have still found fulfillment in, in friendships and in uh, especially church activities. It's one place where the church can definitely be, be strong, but primarily and specifically and foremost in the relationship with God is where that starts. So if you are listening today and you're seeking to fulfill this void in your life with people or with things or with a relationship and you don't know Jesus yet, mm-hmm. that is the one place where I can guarantee you 100% of the time you will find what you need mm-hmm. in Jesus. So right now, you can click beside us in the chat here. If you're list- watching on our online platform, click the I commit my life to Jesus button. And then click the live prayer and share that with somebody immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because that is where you can find fulfillment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we got one more question. One more. And I think it's probably the biggest question. Yeah. And probably the one that people are waiting for the most. Yeah. Yeah, That's why we put it off till the end. (laughs) That's why we put it off till the very end. You got to build suspense, right? (laughs) The very end. (laughs) Absolutely. So why don't we we head there now? Yeah. And so the last question for Pastor 411 is very relevant to right now. And it's when and how will we reopen for Sunday service at West Meadows? Yes. That's a big question. isn't it? And, uh, and I can tell you this, that we as a staff team and, uh, and with the board's involvement as well, have been planning and talking about this for, for a number of weeks. Um, and we didn't know when this would be permissible, but we started talking about it knowing that the day would eventually come. And, and, and just a really quick footnote here, I think it has been one of the most productive conversations that, that we as a staff team had for a long time. Reason being, is on day one of the conversation, we were not in agreement. <laughs> we, we, were we were pretty not. broadly spread across the map on this one, yeah. but gradually over time, we saw this wonderful exercise in, in collective discernment mm-hmm. as we all kind of came together and have arrived at a point where, where we're all confident and fully on board with the plan that we want to share with you today. 100%. And in addition, we shared it with the board who, who was fully uh, you know, in agreement mm-hmm. with what was there. And the surveys we've sent out to our key volunteers and also the surveys that we've sent out to the congregation have confirmed our thinking on this. And so we want to share some of those details with you now. So we find ourselves at a point where restrictions are being lifted and it is possible for us to start in other churches and places of worship to start meeting again in person. And what churches are doing is kind of all over the map and it's somewhat based upon context for their situations as well. For example, there are some more traditional churches that have a heavy focus upon being in a sacred space and, and sacred elements and liturgical practices that are done together. They've, they've moved to meeting much quicker than some other churches. 
there's rural communities where they don't have the benefits of strong technology and internet service, and so uh, opportunities such as West Meadows at Home wasn't available to them. A lot of those communities have had virtually nothing in the way of, of, a, of a worship service or a spiritual education for a few months now. So we can understand their rush to get back to meet. But there's a lot of churches like ourselves as well. And there's a mix of decisions being made, and some are gradually returning, some are quickly going back. Um, but I think for the most part, a larger percentage are definitely taking the slow um, strategic paced route back to meeting, which is kind of where, where we've been looking as well. And so we've been processing this in light of our context, and that's where the staff and board conversations and the surveys, thank you for filling those in, that's where the surveys have come to help inform uh, what we are proposing for going forward. So some of the things that have come out of the surveys, and thank you to all of you that have done yeah. this, and if you still want to do it, feel free to fill it out, and it can continue to inform as we develop in this ever-changing Absolutely. time. Absolutely. For sure. Yep. Uh, and so, but some things that have come up, many are eager to return, but are also aware of the risks of gathering, and so they're cautiously eager yeah, to that's return. Right. Mm -hmm. And many enjoy and have appreciated our online West Meadows at Home, what we're doing right now, mm -hmm. and so a lot of them have said that this is good for now. Yeah. 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 And so that's, that's great feedback. Thank you for that. Yes, we appreciate that. <laughs> We've also heard some stories of West Meadows at Home producing freedom and the time and the space for people to engage with their neighbors when they otherwise would be hopping in their vehicle and, and heading off to church mm -hmm. when Sunday morning is not often a sacred time for everybody. Yeah. And so this is a great way to evangelize as well. Yeah. Um, but some stats that have come out of the surveys is about 17% said they were coming back right away. First chance they get, you open the door, I'll be there. However, 65% where that cautious, wait a few weeks, we'll see what happens kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so well thought out, wise, no hurry, proceed with caution, Westman who's at home is good. These are all phrases that have come up in the feedback from the surveys. So thank you, mm -hmm. and we hear you. Absolutely. And so there is this proceeding with caution aspect to how we go forward. But at the same time, we understand and appreciate the value that people have to be in an in-person gathering. In particular, to gather together, not just in homes and not just in parks, but to gather together in a sacred space, such as the sanctuary that we're in right now. And this idea of the church being a gathered people is, is absolutely a biblical, as we talked earlier, a prescribed mm -hmm. aspect of who the church is to be, is we are to be a people that are gathered. Uh, we read about this, for example, in Hebrews 10, where it says, don't give up meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this is a prescribed thing that we as a church need to be moving towards and striving towards, but we need to do so cautiously. So how we understand what it means to gather together can be a little bit different. For example, we are gathering together online right now. It's a different format than definitely the author of Hebrews had in mind at the yeah. time, but it is a form of gathering together still. You can just look at all the comments happening in the chat window and there's a form of online community that's happening. But we also understand that that is not sufficient in and of itself because we know that people to some degree may have gathered together, but there reaches a point where everybody needs in-person connection. For example, we need to come together in the sanctuary at some point so that we can take communion together. The communion is meant to be done in community. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to baptize people. There's, there's people who are calling and saying, no, I'm interested in baptism. We need to be in 
community <laughs> in person of some form to be able to baptize people. And so uh, we understand that there's a need and a value in that. And consider, for example, even the best, most successful online dating apps, they work good for a while, but eventually somebody goes, hey, we should meet in person. <laughs> so there's this, this natural need that we have as well. So taking all this into consideration, uh, the, the discussing and praying that the staff board have done, the survey results that we've had, understanding the needs we have to be in a sacred space, understanding the needs we have to be in person, understanding the need to be cautious. What we want to present to you today is, uh, is a plan we have for a three-phased reopening or relaunching of our Sunday morning service. So we'll briefly discuss each of these with you. Phase one is going to begin on July 5th, next Sunday. And what we're looking to do is launch these watch parties that are very popular right now. Uh, and the idea here is that not us necessarily, we're going to facilitate and try and encourage, but, but you. We're asking you to consider, uh, are you part of a life group? Are you in a situation uh, uh, home-wise, uh, health-wise, age and stage-wise, where it would be safe and reasonable for you to consider hosting a watch party, where people could gather together. We could start building, not large groups, but we could start building some community that is taking place in, in different locations. This is already happening with our life groups who had paused for a few months, but have, uh, on a regular basis, I'm getting more and more updates of life groups who have started to meet in person again, my own group included. And so if you're interested in hosting either an existing life group or if you want to even start a new group or if you want to find out which groups are available for you to potentially participate in for these watch parties, uh, contact the church office. Uh, just email the church at office at westmeadows.org or call the office from Tuesday through Friday and we can pass on some of that information to you. Yeah. So some of that information, leaders of those groups will be provided with guidelines to follow in detail to mm -hmm. provide a safe environment Absolutely. for those. And as in all situations, this is not a requirement for no. you. If you're not comfortable, if you don't feel good, pass on this opportunity and continue to engage with mm -hmm. us here uh, at West Meadows at Home. Yeah. Uh, but also we want to give freedom to the groups. And so this kind of adds other elements that you could add in. Mm -hmm. Discussion if you want after. You could change the time or the day that you want to tune into this. Maybe it's a Tuesday night now that your group meets and tunes in to West Meadows at Home. Yep. And be, feel free to be indoor or outdoor during these things. Yeah, be creative. Yeah. Be creative with how this happens, but also, uh, and we can't say it's enough, be safe and be wise about this. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't a, a prescribed thing. <laughs> We're yeah. describing an opportunity that you may wish to consider participating in. Phase two. On August 2nd, we are going to be going to a true live stream experience. What does that mean? Well, let me quickly summarize for you that West Meadows at Home currently happens this way. The music is recorded on Wednesday, the message is recorded on Thursday, Zach edits on Friday, and we show it on Sunday. So <laughs> it's four spread different out. days. It's four different days. Starting on August 2nd, we're going to a true live stream situation. What that means is that Sunday morning, 10 a.m., we go live from, from the welcome on the platform to the benediction. There'll be a regular flow of service happening in one, uh, in, in one live broadcast, which will be recorded and still available on demand off of our website. But Sunday at 10 a.m. will be a truly live experience with all the bumps and glitches and stuff <laughs> that goes along with it. So for the first two Sundays, for August 2nd and August 9th, we are also going to open up the sanctuary to some people to be present. 
but only to our key volunteers, in particular to people who are considering the possibility of serving and volunteering in our welcome ministries. And this is because we don't just want to open up the opportunity for them to be in service with us. We also are going to be including some intentional training for them on what are the cleaning procedures required, what are crowd control procedures, and these sorts of things so they know what to expect and they are ready to receive people when they return. Yeah, and, and taking those steps is, is super helpful because there's a, a big list of guidelines there's that... A, yeah. That we, that we need to follow, and, and we want to follow as leaders in the community to, to model for others as Absolutely. well what you should do. And so, on August 16th, this is kind of the secondary phase to phase two, mm-hmm. um, we're going to open to the congregation. So, But what you need to know is what to expect during this. Yeah. And so, in this time, we will be still physically distancing. Mm-hmm. We will be asking you to wear masks. There will be hand washing. Yep. You will have to sign in. And you will have to be spread out. Absolutely. So we are open the sanctuaries of the 16th to you know, anybody who would like to attend. But there are some of those steps that need to be in place. There's also some things that you won't experience. You will not be able to sing. We will not have a children's program. There will be no coffee service. There will not be opportunities to spend time in the foyer socializing. It's, it's basically going to be a situation where we're going to invite you to walk in, sit down, and then walk out, okay? So adjust your expectations accordingly. We are still anticipating it to be a worshipful experience, but it's going to be a low to no interaction, a a low to no participation type of experience during the month of August. Then we get to phase three, which is a little ways away, and so we hold this with open hands still, but from what we know of today, this is what we're thinking for phase three, which will start on September 6th. We'll return back to a more of a full-service format, kind of, because there'll be some things that are familiar, but also some things that are still different. And we don't know exactly what the restrictions look like yet for that date, and for all we know, they could all fully be lifted. Or we could actually have taken a few steps backwards by then. We don't know, but here's what we're thinking at this point. So the familiar side of this is we'll be in a large group again. Mm-hmm. Live worship, live prayer, live preaching. We'll be able to partake in communion together, yeah. one of those necessary, really awesome things. And kids' ministry will be running, with precautions, yep. the whole service. So those that may be deterred in this time because, like, oh, my kids are going to be with me and it's going to be loud and it's mm-hmm. going to be hard to keep them from running and touching other people, during this time we'll be able to offer a full kids ministry service that you will be able to drop your kids off at the beginning uh, before the service Mm -hmm. and there's no kids moment during because that's not really conducive yeah to it's hard uh, to do physical distancing during a kids moment yeah when you call every kid forward to sit at the front of the stage it's pretty hard to keep them six feet apart we wouldn't be able to get them all in the camera shots even so yeah uh yeah Exactly. So there will be some differences that happen too, though. Even though those are familiar, there'll be some differences. We will still have limitations on personal interactions. There will still likely not be coffee service and refreshments. And uh, quite honestly, we're very confident that the, uh, the tradition of, of having potluck once a month is probably not going to be happening, uh, very, very unlikely at all, for quite a long time due to uh, the situation we're currently coming out of. And that distancing is going to continue. We'll be spread out throughout a much larger group of the sanctuary here. Will we be able to sing? I don't know. We'll have to see closer to the date. We'll be able to shake hands, high five. We'll see as the date gets closer. But here's the fourth thing we won't let you know. 
is that if you're still nervous and unsure if this is the right situation for you to return to, we want to guarantee you this, is that we are not stopping West Meadows at home. In fact, we have heavily invested into this ministry opportunity, and we are discussing opportunities for how we can expand it and and reach out even to more opportunities that we're encountering through our online presence that we have. So we are reaching people who have never stepped foot in our building before, and we are having chances to pray with them and build community with them. We have opportunities for those that work shift work and just aren't available Sunday morning. They can now, uh, instead of having to come to church Sunday morning, which never worked for them, or having to watch a service Sunday morning that didn't work, they can now have uh, services at different times. We're looking into those sorts of things. And there's also this opportunity, as Andrew referenced a moment ago, for people to engage more with their neighbors, where Sunday morning quite often is, is a time of, of community in the community. And so West Meadows at Home gives us a chance for that still to happen, and even to invite your neighbors to come to your home, not not necessarily to come to the church, but to come to your home and participate in church with you. And folks, that's evangelism. I think that's the form of evangelism going forward in the future that's going to be the most fruitful for us. So West Meadows at Home is not going anywhere. It's probably actually ramping up a little bit. Now, if you have any questions, if you have any concerns or comments, please feel free to email me or call me in the church office uh, whenever you like. Leave me a voicemail if I'm out here, and I'll do my very best to get back to you as soon as possible. So uh, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> We're starting next Sunday next uh, with uh, phase one of our relaunch. We're really excited for this to be happening with our watch parties next week. Also happening next week mm-hmm. is the start of a new series. Because this is the end of Pastor 411. And to give you an idea of where we're going for the summer months, and we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit uh, in a series that we're calling Be Fruitful. And that's our hope, is that not only will we understand what the fruit of the Spirit is and, and, and how does that expression of the Spirit uh, take shape in my life, but also how can that be displayed in my life to the world around me so that we all, as followers of Jesus Christ, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, can be fruitful. So that's where we're going in the weeks ahead, and I hope you'll tune in uh, starting next Sunday at 10 a.m. for that series. Yeah. So Andrew, as we close today, the series, uh, the month of June even, yeah. uh, heading into the summer, uh, could, you, could you close in prayer for us today? Yeah, totally. Thank you. Prayer with me. God, we thank you for the ability to, to just be with you wherever we are. And Lord, for those that maybe today entered, allowed you to enter their heart for the first time, Lord, we just thank you for them. And we know that now they can walk around knowing they are completely fulfilled in you. Mm-hmm. Complete, whole, not lacking anything. And God, we just thank you again for the wisdom and discernment that you've provided the leadership here, but also uh, the ability to begin to re-engage and, and, and build communities that are stronger as we weave you into our day-to-day lives. Be with us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us at West Meadows at Home again this week. If anything has has prompted your heart that you want to reach out in prayer, that live prayer button is still available for you. And uh, remember, we're here for you throughout the week uh, in the church office. Call, email. Aside from that, we'll see you next week for our next episode of West Meadows at Home.